0: Well, good morning, Grace. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Have you ever read a true story or watched a movie that was based on a true story that left you stunned, captivated, thinking, wow, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have experiences like that. Do you know why? It's because we are wired for adventure. We're wired for purpose and meaning. There's something that happens inside of each of us that triggers a very basic urge, a rush of adrenaline, a desire to make a difference. And there are times I think back on some of my experiences, and I remember the fulfillment, the joy, the completeness of the moment where I knew I was doing something important. It was something eternal. It was something that was impacting lives. There are times I knew God's Spirit was present in ways I couldn't logically explain But he was so involved in working, I could sense that was happening, and it was a holy moment. I love those moments. And when I read a story or watch a movie, it reminds me that I'm created for a deeper purpose. My pulse quickens and my mind races, and I can hardly contain myself. With all those moments I've ever had, nothing comes close to what happened in 1 Kings 18 and 19. Elijah, who was a prophet of God, pulls us into the moment. He is face to face with his enemies, false prophets of the God of Baal. Israel had lost her way and was rebelling against God. In Israel, there was a surge of worship of false gods. There was confusion and tension between those in Israel and those who followed the true God of Israel. And those were tense moments. Elijah was considered a prophet of God. He was given that title, and what a title that is. Titles matter, especially when they come from God. People have asked me about my title. What should we call you? I've been called pastor. I've been called reverend. I've been called minister, and a whole host of other titles you don't need to know about. When I was a student pastor, we were moving from one church to begin a new ministry, and one of the students who we had seen surrender his life to Jesus and was headed into the ministry said he had a gift for us, but it wasn't quite ready when we moved, so he mailed it to us. A week later, we received his gift. It was an, he, he was an artist and had made us a frame plaque that read, Marty and Ruth Ann Longcore." true servants of the Most High God. Immediately, tears flooded our eyes. Then we looked at each other and laughed. Where are we going to put this? I suggested the front door, but I was overruled. So now you know my title. Not really. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we are all true servants of the Most High God. Elijah was a prophet of God, And with that title came tremendous responsibility and expectations. He was sent to confront, not to comfort. He spoke God's words to a king who often rejected the message just simply because Elijah was the one who brought it. He was faithful to carry out his ministry for God, and this caused great tension and animosity between him and the king. You see, after King David had died, There were a long list of kings, some who followed God and led Israel in the ways of God, and those who followed false gods, leading Israel further away from the true God. Ahab, the king of Israel during Elijah's time, the the Bible says, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. He married Jezebel. She ranks as potentially the most evil woman in the Bible. She brought to Israel the false prophets of Baal. So Elijah is on this mountain face to face with 450 false prophets, the king and all of Israel. And Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to build an altar and and, and place a sacrifice on it, and then call on their God to bring fire from heaven to light the wood and the sacrifice. He then builds an altar, places a sacrifice on it, and is to call on his God to bring fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal take the majority of the day, they build their altar, they call on their God, nothing happens. Elijah steps up, builds an altar, places the sacrifice on the altar, And when all the people are ready, he calls on God to bring fire on the sacrifice. God sends fire from heaven. It burns up not just the sacrifice, but the entire altar. And everyone falls on their face and they shout, He is God! The Lord is God! Yes, the Lord is God! The prophets of Baal were then put to death. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're, you're thinking, Marty, I thought we were in the book of Romans. We are. Romans chapter 10 and 11. In chapter 10, Paul turns his focus to Israel. The church in Rome, remember, was a blend of Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul reminds the church the reason Israel rejected Jesus it was because they based their relationship with God on their performance of the commands in the Old Testament. They didn't recognize what God had done through Jesus to create a new covenant family on the basis of faith. The mind game they were playing was sending mixed messages. They claimed to be God's chosen people, but became entrenched in the law and forgot their mission to be the blessing of God. So Paul asks in chapter 11, what is Israel's future? Has God written off his people? No, he says there are tons of jewish people including himself who recognize jesus as their messiah but there is also a lot that don't however god was able to use their rejection for his own purposes no matter what happens god can bring about good and fulfill his good purpose even with a virus Paul goes on to tell the church in Rome, even though his chosen people rejected his plan, it caused the gospel to spread even quicker and farther into the Gentile world, making the family of Abraham even larger and multi-ethnic. Paul describes God's family as a big olive tree. Those who have rejected Jesus have been broken off from the tree, and the Gentiles are like wild branches that are grafted into the family tree. However, one day, Jesus will be acknowledged by his own people, but Paul doesn't offer any details about how. And if we're not careful, we can begin playing the mind games of trying to figure out all the details of how God will do that. Paul simply trusts God's character and promise that he won't give up on his covenant people. Now, Romans 11 Verses 2 through 6 says this, Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Do you remember God's reply, Paul says? He says, no, Elijah, I have 7,000 others who have have never bound down to Baal. It is this same, that is the same today, for a few people in Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, undeserved. Elijah got caught up in a typical mind game. I'm the only one. Romans 9 through 11 can create a few mind games. And if we're not careful, we can miss what matters most. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the children's story, Alice in Wonderland. It's a story of a girl who follows a rabbit down a rabbit hole and ends up in a world turned upside down. She encounters situation after situation that leaves her frustrated, questioning reality, and longing for normalcy. <laughs> Sound familiar? Does it feel like we've fallen down a rabbit hole? How do we keep from falling down the rabbit hole of mind games? Here are three dangers we need to avoid. First, we need to avoid the danger and become too focused on distractions. Some distractions are not bad, but when we become fixated on a distraction, they can lead us into a different world. We begin to doubt the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the promises of God, and the faithfulness of God. When we are distracted, we actually position ourselves right where the enemy wants us. He wants us vulnerable to his lies. He wants us to be vulnerable to his schemes and his way of thinking. We then will make choices that plunge us further into the rabbit hole of desperation and pain. You need to acknowledge what your thoughts are. Tell it to God. Elijah focused on one person's comment, and down the rabbit hole he went. For Israel, in Romans 10, 2-4, it says, I know, Paul says, I know what enthusiasm they had for God. But it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. You see, Israel was consumed and distracted by their position with God. They became so sidetracked with complacency. They took for granted what they had, the covenant promises of God. In their complacency, they turned their back on God. They became sidetracked by their surpluses, all the things that they had. They trusted in their blessings over the blesser. They got sidetracked with themselves. Everything was focused on them and no one else, not even God. I am so glad that today we don't have those issues getting sidetracked by complacency our surpluses trusting in our blessings over the blesser and becoming sidetracked by selfishness you see folks when we become sidetracked we focus on issues and things that aren't really that important if there's one thing that this quarantine and the virus and and having to stay home has helped us with I think it has helped us to really understand and start to get a clear focus on what really is important. So here are some uh, examples of how sometimes Christ followers can be focusing on distractions and forget their main purpose. The area of prophecy. There are different theories about when Jesus will return to earth. Another one is what translation of the Bible should I read? Or what music should we have in the church? Some of these are important discussions and noble causes that need to be discussed, but the issue becomes so consuming that the most important thing gets forgotten. Are you familiar with the phrase majoring in the minors? Are you? Okay, if so, push the emoji button. Great, thanks. That's exactly what some Christ followers do. They forget the mission that they are on. To be like Jesus, love God and others, and make disciples who make disciples. Instead, they are too consumed with minor, the minor issues of Scripture or the minor issues in the church our vision here at grace and our mission is clear in fact i hope you will join me tuesday night at 6 30 p.m as we lay out our vision and mission along with implementation plans simply log into live.discovergrace.net we are a church that is focused on the majors jesus christ i have a degree in theology theological studies have a number of categories or disciplines. For instance, theology is the study of God. Theo, meaning God, ology, the study of. Bibliology stands for the study of the Bible. Harmardiology is not the study of Marty, okay? It is the study of sin. And then there's angel, angelology. It's the study of angels. Eschatology is the study of the end of time. Every section of theology is important. However, there is one that is the most important, and that is Christology, the study of Christ. If you get off base in any of the other disciplines, but if you have a proper understanding of who Jesus is, that's what matters most. We need to be focused on and intent on majoring in what is most important: Jesus. Otherwise, we can be majoring in the minors of our faith. The main thing in Romans chapter 10 is verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Romans chapter 10, it's salvation. The main point that we need to remember in Romans chapter 11 is found in verse 33. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Mercy. You see, everyone has the opportunity for salvation everyone has the opportunity of receiving the mercy of god don't get confused with thoughts and things that take you away from god's main point so how do i avoid this danger i need to focus on the main thing keep the main thing the main thing god's salvation and god's mercy for everyone through jesus Fix your eyes, your thoughts, your life on Jesus. Well, how do I do that? If you've never done this, you could then give your life to Jesus by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And then you start a relationship with him. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, it's by simply obeying everything that Jesus has commanded. Back to Elijah. When King Ahab told Jezebel what had happened on the mountain and to her prophets, she sent this word to Elijah may the god strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow you have not killed i have not killed you just as you killed them now you would think that here is elijah a prophet of god who just saw the fire from heaven fall all of israel bowing down before god saying you are the one true god that he would have he would have taken that bit of communication and God, really? No, he didn't. Elijah was terrified, and he fled for his life. He got caught up in a typical mind game. I'm the only one left. His perspective shifted from God to himself. He quickly forgot the incredible things God had just done. He took his eyes off of the moment that God had worked. He took his eyes off of the miracle that God had just performed. He took his eyes off God and went down the rabbit hole of isolation. That's the next danger we have to avoid. We need to avoid the danger of isolation. In other words, we need to stop believing that isolation will help. Resist the lie that isolation will help. For the Israelites, they isolated themselves, not physically, but relationally. They not only excluded the Gentiles, they denigrated them, and it was reflected in this prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not born a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. You see, they viewed themselves as superior. They relationally isolated from certain people, but they also had isolated themselves from God. This came out of the fixation on their traditions and their laws. I think many of us have had a taste of what isolation is and means today. We are told to self-isolate, and there are many people who are concerned about what this time of isolation will do for those who are prone to depression, anxiety, and insecurity. One of the earliest pronouncements of God was regarding isolation. He said this in Genesis, It is not good for man to be alone. He knows that isolation will kill you. In fact, then in Genesis, the, the phrase, let us, is the first reference to the character of God. And it is a significant phrase for us. You see, from Romans to Revelation, we are reminded 21 times that we are to live in community. All these commands begin with, let us. Let us love one another. Let us serve one another. Let us encourage and honor one another. The list goes on. And when feelings or circumstances overwhelm you, if you isolate, you're playing right into the enemy's hand once again. You see, he wants to separate you from anyone who can encourage you, from anyone who can help focus your thoughts on Jesus, or who can walk with you. That's why the body of Christ, his local expression, the local church is so critical. Are you struggling? Staying away from church and the people of God will not help you. In fact, it will hurt you. Let us know how we can come alongside of you. Take advantage of our ability to do that. Send us an email. Call our office. Now, on Monday, Governor Holcomb issued the stay-at-home mandate. And Monday afternoon, Pastor Jason was in conversation with the governor's office for clarification. Who knew that he was best best buds with Governor Holcomb? And we were looking for what the mandate meant for us as a church. We knew that we couldn't gather in our auditorium and our building with large groups of people, but we were wondering, do we have to shut down our offices? Are we not able to do our streaming of our worship services from the auditorium? So what we got was this word. We heard from the governor's office that grace is considered a necessary and needed entity. You see, we are here to support you and to offer connection. So how do we move out of isolation? It's when we believe relationships matter. Be in relationship. And what does that look like? Be willing to be honest with people. Be willing to be vulnerable. But here's one of the most important things. Be willing to be present with people. Now we need to separate ourselves from the virus but we can't isolate ourselves from one another be creative use video use facetime chat phone calls keep your distance but get connected parenting has always been hard but parenting in the time of the coronavirus and the quarantine it necessitates, has made everything that was once simple feel difficult, and everything that has already been difficult feel impossible. It's really, really hard to work from home and parent at the same time. It's really difficult to talk to kids about what's happening or what will happen when you're so uncertain yourself. So this Wednesday, I want to invite you to listen to our podcast as we talk about those issues. Now back to Israel. Israel, They were so isolated from the Gentiles, they actually missed most of what God was doing right in front of their own eyes. Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up and demonstrates the heart and the mind of God, yet they isolated themselves not just from the Gentiles, but from God himself. And that's the third danger we need to avoid. Because if we don't, we will miss what God is doing. Israel misplaced focus and isolation caused them to miss out on what God was doing. They missed Jesus. What caused Elijah to run, to be afraid and isolate and miss God? One person's comment. You see, isn't that just like the enemy? We are doing well. We see God do these miraculous things, and one person's comment can totally derail us. You see, Elijah did what we often do. He struggled with his feelings so he did one thing good, he prayed. He he said to God, God, I've had it. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? He goes, kill me now! Put me out of my misery. He then falls asleep. God wakes him up and provides Elijah with food and water. Elijah falls back asleep again. He wakes up in the morning to a defining moment, a God question. God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah answers it with, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken down their covenant, have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God gives Elijah then an audiovisual display of his power with a message he needed to hear. Elijah witnessed a severe windstorm, an earthquake and fire. But the Lord was not in any of those powerful things. Instead, God displayed his presence in a gentle whisper. God confronted Elijah's emotions and commanded action. God then asks again, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" He then directs Elijah with what he wanted him to do next. God woke Elijah up to his calling and mission. What are we doing here? What are you doing here? What am I doing here? God wants to wake us up to our calling and mission. Even today, God often speaks through the gentle and obvious rather than the spectacular and the unusual. God has work for us to do even when we feel fear and confusion. God always has more resources and people than we know about. He's always working even though we don't see it or we feel it. We may wish to do amazing miracles for God. Instead, focus on developing a relationship with Him and allow Him to lead you. So how do we overcome the temptation or the danger of missing out? We need to find what God is doing and join Him. It's amazing to think about the miracles God accomplished through Elijah. I'll be the first to admit, I would love to see God do things like that. But, what was Elijah's focus? It was his relationship with the almighty God of the universe. Everything that happened in Elijah's life began as a result of his response to the same miracle that is now available to us. The the ability to know God personally. And that happens because of Jesus. So what are you doing here? Are you awake to your calling and your mission? Romans 10, 14-16 says, But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard any... Had heard about him and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news that's our that's our purpose that's our mission let's pray together father thank you so much that in times like this in times when Things become desperate, when we feel like we are in another world, down the rabbit hole, and we're confused, not knowing what is going to happen next, we know that you are with us. We know that you bring us clarity and focus, that you pull us back with the question of, what are you doing here? Father, I pray for the ones who are discouraged. Would you bring courage and encouragement their way today and in this next week for those who are suffering from health issues God would you touch their bodies father for the parents uh, who are ready to pull their hair out because the kids are driving them crazy would you give them peace would you just give them strength would you give them confidence father We love you, and we know that it's in times like these that if we turn our focus to you and we keep our mind on hearts, on the main things of you, that you show up and help us not to fall into the temptation of isolation, but be in relationships. And God, would you open our eyes? Would you wake us up to our calling and our mission so that we don't miss what you're doing, Jesus? Father, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray.